Welcome to to the Gorgeous gorgeous Lunch, a podcast where we talk about the food people are talking about. I'm your host, Lyndon. And I'm your other host, Louise. Join us every episode as we discover the ultimate restaurant for experiencing each month's featured spice, sample the food, and pester the chef for tips to make your kitchen more thrilling. This month, our members received a package of cardamom, as well as our own take on a Scandinavian baker's blend. So, we went in search of the perfect Scandinavian bakery. Well, that adventure turned out to be a little more difficult than one would think in the fabulous GTA. There are, in fact, very, very few Scandinavian bakeries. But happily, we found something truly special in Toronto's Liberty Village. We are excited to introduce you to Dara Gallinger of Broadflower, whose approach to baking is unlike any other you've ever experienced. So true. Apologies, everyone. I've had a bit of a cold this week, so I'm a little quieter in the interview than I would have preferred. You can imagine how that upset Lyndon. Oh my goodness, especially (laughs) given my love for baking and especially baking sourdough bread and my obsession with cardamom. But um, thank you so much, Louise. You were awesome, as always, picking up the ball to make sure we got all our questions in. Thank you. Happy to chat at any time. After our conversation last month with Howard Dabrowski from Bar Saban and his delicious approach to cheese plates, we thought we'd profile a wonderful shop on the west side of Toronto. Food Depot International is in an industrial part of Etobicoke on Jutland Road. It has over 600 cheeses and specialty foods from Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and all over North America. It's completely worth the trip. You can get unbelievable festive goodies and holiday supplies from all over the world. We think you might want to stock up very soon. Hey Louise, what would you call Broadflower? Is it a cafe? A bakery? What do you think? How would you describe it? Well, I would describe it as open, welcoming, a Scandinavian coffee and sandwich place, oh, that just happens to have a working flour mill in the middle. <laughs> oh, and there's, there's glass windows where you can see the bakers hard at work. Lyndon, how would you describe it? Yeah, I'd say it's like a shop with baked goods at the center and the most delicious cafe lattes you can imagine. The decor is wonderfully stylish in that Nordic Huga way. We'll definitely be posting photos of the interior on our show notes, as well as on our Instagram at The Gorgeous Spice Co. Hi, Dara. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you doing? <laughs> great, great. Thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us today. I absolutely love Broadflower. This is a fantastic place. It's so inspiring. I happen to be a sourdough bread baker. So um, the moment I found the website, I was 
like I couldn't get here quickly enough. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired the bread making, the milling of the... Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I came from corporate grocery. Um, I was working at Sobeys uh, around the time that this kind of fell into my lap, and um, I wasn't enjoying the grocery world, mostly because of, um, you know, the Industrial Revolution is still kind of like had its bad impact on the big, the, the result of it was big box groceries or whatever came first, the chicken or the egg. It was like, did the grocery store come first or did the Industrial Revolution come first? But the business model in, in, in the grocery world is, you know, keeping costs low, how long are things going to be shelf stable for, you know, so as a result, you don't get food that's actually very good for you. Um, specifically bread and that commercial bread category was a, you know, I think one of the last categories of food that hasn't really come back to goodness, right? You have the produce, you have the cheese, you have meat, um, all those, you know, now we're talking and demanding about organic, sustainable, where things come from, traceability, animal welfare, you know, you name it, but for some reason bread hasn't had the same kind of care. Not to mention that bread is really under siege in terms of keto diets and low exactly. carb diets. Yes. And so everybody's turning and running away from bread baskets. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> it's a, there's a stigma associated. Not only are people running away from it, they also expect it to be free. You know, they, there's no value True placed enough, on yeah. bread, right? So there's issues with like being fearful of it, and then there's issues with the value that's placed on it. So not a high willingness to pay and or completely not eating it at all. So when my business partner at the time, who was a friend, came to me and said, hey, look, I have an idea. It's kind of like, it's gonna be a bit of a reverse venture capitalist thing where he's like, I have an idea and I have money. You have expertise and you're you know, in this world now where you can maybe launch a new business. Okay, just saying yeah. that's the dream of every entrepreneur where sure. you have someone who says, I'm interested in your dream and I've got money. Exactly. So, so that's he, a great start. Yeah, he planted the seed around it being like a, the next big food business and having it be bread and coffee being the focus. Um, my understanding and knowledge of the bread category from the grocery perspective was that may not be the best business like the business conceptually there's no interest in bread so if we're going to build the next big food business and have that be around bread we have to figure out a way to completely disrupt that industry so I said look I don't know that I can say for sure that it's going to make sense but you know maybe I'll go out and like do some research and figure out like if there is a way that we could fix the problems right so I left my job and went traveling and you know just to make it you know to cut it down because we don't have hours and hours I can tell you about my trip the biggest difference was Everywhere I went in North America, and I spoke to anyone who was like, considered making really good bread, you ask them what, what is like the secret to good bread, and they would say, North American baker would say, it's the talent of the baker, or it's the sourdough, using sourdough, you know, that kind of thing. Which was like, okay, like not, what, not surprising. But then when I went across the pond to Europe, and you know, we know bread, is, there's a culture there around bread, and bread isn't, people aren't, it's not the same issues around bread there. Um, Every single baker I spoke to talked about how important the relationship with the person milling their flour was. And that's where the light bulb went off for me, which was, you know, oh, that's nothing. We don't even know about that. We don't, we put flour on our shelf and it sits there for years and years and years and we think it's okay, you know? And so, you know, you can be an incredible, you can be an incredible baker, but, you know, if you're using a crappy raw ingredient, then you can only make bread that's only so good. 
I don't think I've ever heard a baker, to your point, talk about milled flour in in Toronto no, ever. No, it's not, and it's not even just like it's about stone milled flour. You know, stone milled is the most inefficient way that you can mill flour. What because other way could you? Mill well, it? now the industrial revolution came up with you know the oh, roller so the mill. Steel. So okay, you know yeah. the steel. So that's fast. You know, it removes everything from the grain that is bad. Well, that can go bad, which is the germ and, and the bran which is what is removed in roller milling, industrial milling. So you have a shelf-stable product that is super non-volatile, easy to work with, right? You don't require a lot of talented people to be able to be successful using it. Um, and then the stone mill was from like the probably the earliest technology known to man, I would imagine, because civilization was built around wheat farming. And so, you know, someone right. decided to crush the grains between two stones that was being moved around by water or donkey. You know that is the oldest form of being able to to cut processed grains, and so there's been this new interest. I mean, I think in Europe a lot of people never shied away from it. You know, there's the modern version of the stone mill, but it's still a stone mill. It's just powered by a motor. You know, so right. um, we, you know, I went to Austria after learning about this. They have a, a stone mill manufacturer there. That was where I got to see one for the first time, touch fresh flour for the first time, and that was where it was like the second light what bulb. What does fresh flour feel like when it, you? So the, so the, within the first, if you stone mill yes. grains, which means you're maintaining the integrity of the entire grain in a very, very low impact way, for the first, that means the germ is still present and the germ oil is where all the flavors, the nutrients, the minerals, uh, everything, that's where you would be able to taste the difference between a terroir within a grain, right? And that's present, but only within the first two weeks after being milled. So, and every day you'll notice here, like we, we use the flour within 24 hours of it being milled, maybe the most 48 hours, but every day after it's been milled, you can actually see the difference. You, you put your hand in, you squeeze it and you open it, it clumps together like clay the first couple of days. Every other day that passes, it's less and less wet, right? That germ oil is now evaporating. So we say the flour is alive, right? In the first two weeks and then after two weeks it's dead. So none, none of the benefits of the freshness are there when you use it. We are, you know, committed to kind of educating people about this. You know, the bakers in North America have this theory of like the aging of flour being important. Like, you know, the best kind of like kind of more more like uh, artisanal mills will say we age our flour 30 days. Well, the reason for that is because that product then is easier to work with. The mm -hmm. baker likes a, a like a like a flour that <clears throat> will do what they want it to do. There's so many other factors in bread making or baking that you can't control, like the environment or you know, the people that are doing it and how, you know, the skill of the baker, you know, when there's so many other variables that need to be controlled, why would you want to have to worry about another one when you can fix it as like, hey, well, it's, we know it's going to be not volatile. So we actually embrace the volatility here because the, with the, come the volatility comes flavor, comes nutritional benefits, comes, you know, everything that's really, really special about the fact that you're eating something that was a living plant and it should be like treated as such. So there's no fresh bread without fresh flour as far as I'm concerned. I'm and just going to interrupt you yeah. here for one second. Your story is so fascinating, but I, I am not kidding. Eating your bread is like nothing I have ever tasted before. And I have eaten my way around the world with bread. Yeah. <laughs> at, yeah sometimes I show that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your bread is... Um, most bread is very dry. Yes. Your bread is not dry. This is the wrong terminology. It, it's not spongy, but it is, 
It is so flavorful. Honest to goodness, it is the best bread I have ever tasted. Thank you. Like, it's so different. So, how much bread have you eaten in, in Scandinavia? Not a lot. So that's why. So, I mean, I like, take, I like to take a lot of credit for it, obviously, <laughs> and our bakers would, everyone would, but, but um, so in my travels, what you also learn is a very important uh, definition in baking, which is your hydration levels, and different types of breads or different countries or different cultures have different approach to that hydration number. So like a German bread, it tends to be drier. So, right. you know, like lower hydration. So yeah. if you like, you know, Blackbird Bakery, which is a great bakery in the city, their bread tends to be a little bit more drier. They're, they're taking, no, it's more of a German style bread, yeah. um, which there's nothing wrong with. It's just, you know, the, what's really cool about a higher hydration bread, which is where I, the first place I was introduced to that was in Sweden um, and in all Scandinavia, Scandinavia when I went to Iceland and uh, Denmark and that, their whole thing is really super high hydration. You actually can eat the bread without anything on it like it's and it's like like l quite literally like this morning I had a seed bun with nothing on it for breakfast it's almost and it was like, like cake right? exactly you know yeah. and um and that was what I you know I met a baker in Sweden that ended up coming on board and being our consultant so he helped us develop our menu he helped train our bakers how to work with the fresh flour um he gave us all of our recipes um, we met on my trip and we just totally connected and he was like, you, it's amazing what you're going to try and do there. He's like, let me help you. But it really is his, his approach to baking, which is very Scandinavian, which is why broad flour is broad flour, broad, you know, the notes, the, the nod to the Scandinavian culture, which I actually think in Canada we need to embrace more because we actually have very similar culture here and a very similar climate here. So there's a lot of continuity between the two regions of the world that I think really the Scandinavian approach to food and design I think really fits with the That's Canadian kind of so I, I, I think it has it's underrepresented so so Wait, tell us where your flour comes from I, I know that you, you mean the grains the grains. sorry the grains yeah. yes um, we work with two farmers uh, one so we chose you know obviously it would be best if we can get everything from one farmer but different climates produce different types of grains so we wanted to have, again, like our philosophy here at Broadflower is we want to bring, we want to give people the freedom to love bread again. So there are all, already people like you who like already embrace bread and because you have more knowledge or more, more of a foodie maybe, if that's the word. But you also have the, the people that are just kind of buying store-bought bread still, you know, like for their kids, you know, they're not really well-versed in artisanal bread. So we want to make sure that we had something for everyone here. So if we really focused only on like the heritage and ancient grains, which are better for you and more flavorful, but don't actually, you don't get that same kind of lightness and, you know, that you do when you bake with, you know, a, um, a harder high protein flour. So we are getting that from a, a farmer in Manitoba. Um, he makes, they're all certified organic farms. And so he's growing this, uh, we call it Prairie Hard Red. We, we've named it that. It's a Brandon wheat, hard red wheat. Um, so that's our like, all purpose and then we're then we do a lot of blending of that with the heritage grains so we actually get a red fife from there as well which is heritage to Canada and then our farmer in Ontario is um, growing rye spelt and this rye and spelt for us and then actually we're now getting emmer which is like one of the most ancient grains never, uh, I've never heard of from, that well so einkorn and emmer are two of the oldest known ancient oh. grains and they actually come from Georgia like Russia Georgia right um, so we actually have emmer from him, which, which we've just started using, and they're, they're growing einkorn for us as well. 
which is the oldest, so which we're getting in two to three months. So what? it was very little. Very, Emmer's like a very, very much like Pharaoh. Got, it has got a very it. similar like qualities to that. What's the best one for making sourdough? They're all great. I mean, there's not one better than the other. Like the most forgiving flour will be our prairie hard bread. Okay. Because that'll be like you know if you're just if you're if you're if you're if you like a a bit of like a lighter loaf and you want something that is going to be easier for you to make, then we always say start with that. Okay. And then we say, you know, in terms of getting a little bit more interesting, bringing in the heritage and ancient grains, you can start blending cool. with that. And then you can go right to a heritage grain loaf, which will likely be a lot flatter and denser than, than the other, but I think still very delicious. So, so let's go back to your story, which yeah. I <clears throat> rudely interrupted. It's okay. <laughs> um, so you went traveling. Yeah. You found... You know, you sort of had your aha moment yes. of um, different type of bread, and you came back and you opened up here, yep. making bread and also cardamom buns. Yeah, cardamom buns. So the cardamom bun was was so Robin Edberg, the baker from Gothenburg, who I met on my travels and who we brought on board to develop our program for us. He had he has won awards for his cardamom nut, so he gave that recipe to us. So that's we've been doing that since day one. Um, we call it the Cardi B because we had to, you know? um, because we had to, yes, we had no choice. Um, but yeah, so we just took that right from him. That was like, when we, when we opened the door, that was like our feature suite and it was the bread. And then, so it, people are just like, go crazy for it. Like, so we yeah. have a vested interest in yeah. cardamom. Yes. Tell us when you first came across cardamom and what you think about cardamom. Yeah, I mean, I always always knew it more in, like, savory Indian uh, right, cooking, yes. right? Which was, like, how I always experienced it and loved it, obviously. But it's interesting when you use it in sweets. It's almost like a totally different spice in a way. Like, you don't... It totally takes on a new form. Uh, the first time I had the cardamom knot was when I was traveling in Scandinavia. And I was like, this is... It's, like, most comforting you know, um, smell, like, and it's like, we make it in the mornings, like, so I'm not a baker, but I've, like, obviously spent enough time in there where when they need help, I can jump in and do certain things, and, like, one of the things that I'll do to help them is I have, once the cardamom knots come out of the oven, you know, you bu I butter them, and I, and I dip them in the sugar and cardamom mix that we make, right, right. and every time I open it and like I just literally stick my head in I'm just like how do I get like a perfume that smells like this you know like like how do I get like a like a soap that smells like this because it is like it's like joy like I don't know what it is but it's something that it's just so I'd say that it's the spice that gives you a hug totally like it it's just very... gives you a warm hug well it's that word in, in for coziness and warmth in Scandinavia is huga yes and so I think that it's a huga spice you know yeah. it fits I almost yeah. wonder if we have some sort of like genetic memory of this spice from Maybe. ancient times or something because everyone that that I've brought something made with cardamom everyone goes crazy. Yes. They just they can't stop eating it. If I do a, a carrot I have a particular recipe for carrot orange cardamom jelly. Yeah. And people go bonkers. They all want the recipe. And so we're featuring that recipe this month. Um, and, and I tested my hand at some cardamom buns um, recently, and my mother's neighbor said he ate one, and then he ate a second one, and then all of a sudden he, was, he realized he was finishing the third one. That they are so good, you just keep wanting to, to taste more No, for of sure. It. I think really people, people who've never tried it before will always encourage, you know, to... 
to try it and their reactions are always the best to like watch people react to the first time they're trying cardamom because yeah. they're just like what is that they're like it's like it's like it's positive but it's also like it's jarring in a way you know mm-hmm. and i love yeah. the latte oh th- the oat with, milk uh the broad latte yeah. with, the, with the cardamom oat milk in it yeah a hug latte yeah it's a hug exactly <laughs> it's, it's it's definitely it's right for this and it's also very right for the season right now it's very it's a very cozy warm drink that's yeah we the broad latte has just a latte with uh we make a, a syrup out of the uh the whole cardamom pod and then we make it with uh, oat milk and so it's like the perfect combination yeah so good yeah fantastic is there anything you can tell us about working with cardamom that for for our listeners so that it's like a sort of a pro tip any, well a little bit goes a long way that's yep. good you know which, which is good because it's expensive it is yeah it is yeah. the second most expensive to spice saffron right by weight exactly right. to saffron so you don't need a lot which is good <laughs> yes um i also think getting good cardamom is really important um, I think also there's different like ways in which you can use like you've got the cardamom pods and the cardamom, cardamom seeds. Obviously, I think the pods are probably cheaper because you don't have to do as much work with them. But the seeds obviously have a more pronounced sure. flavor, yeah. um, easier to bake with, you know. Um, but yeah, I would say like little goes a long way. Make sure you get it from a good high quality source and have fun with it. Is there anything that you'd want to tell us about the menu in particular that... Um, we didn't put a lot of attention on developing that cafe menu because we really wanted it to be about the bread. So it was just, what do we, what would we like to eat the bread with? And that's kind of what we do. The, the feel downstairs has always been, we wanted it to feel like you're around someone's like kitchen counter and they're making you a sandwich. Not like a subway where like someone has their like plastic gloves on <laughs> and you have like, you know, the hotel pans that are yeah. refrigerated and the thing. So we actually like that counter as a as a stone on top, a cooled stone. So like you can actually, so we can put like dishes with things that need to be refrigerated on it that are like conducive to conducting temperature. And so that maintains the temperature that way. And so they don't have to have, so we really went to great lengths to not overdo it. Like what is, what, what is someone gonna make you in their house? Like not, you know, not like nothing complicated. But again, like as we think about who we are and what we wanna be, we may want to put a little bit more love into the sandwich program, but right now it's really just whatever we make here, you can make yourself at home. It really isn't, you know, it's very simple but delicious, and the bread really is the star. Tell us a little bit about why you chose Liberty Village. How has the community here responded to... to it really wasn't on our... It really wasn't a, a location-driven decision. It was like we needed a space fast that wasn't too expensive, um, that had people around, you know? Um, so this just was what came up and we're happy to be here because obviously it's, uh, you know, it's, I like on the, the side that we're on, you know, I still, I feel it's got this like industrial feel still. And you get a lot of interesting people cause it's just all the work crowds. So it's people that are coming from all different areas of the city. So you get a lot, a good in, indication of like who's your customer and how different demographics feel about what you're doing versus if you're just in a neighborhood, you're only really selling to that 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 demographic. So we get the whole thing here, which I think is really great. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been, it's a great place for us to have started and we're looking forward to opening a whole bunch more and using this as like our commissary, like, you know, where we kind of produce out of more um, and ship out to the rest of the city. Will you let us know as soon as you decide to open up a new one? We want to promote it. Okay, for sure. And visit it. Of course, of course, yes. yes. We have a few questions that we'd like to, to ask everyone we interview. Do you want to kick this off, Louise? Okay, it's rapid fire time. Okay. Okay, okay. Batman or Superman? Uh, Superman. Why? Um, I don't know. Matt, 
he's more of a day guy, I think. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I like think, I think more like sunshine and daylight versus darkness. You stay and, away from those night guys? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. That's, yeah. that's a yeah. great answer. Yeah. And certainly baking is a daytime thing. Well, it's actually a nighttime thing. Night. It is. It is. That's where like, bakers like to be up all night. A baker would say Batman, for sure, I think. Good yeah. point. Yeah. Good point, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But your place really feels like a place to be during the day. For it's sure. It's not a nighttime space. No, it's not a nighttime space, space. exactly. Definitely. And what would be your desert island spice? I have a hunch I might know. Oh, well. You will give you two answers. Okay, okay. cardamom for sure. <laughs> yes. um, and it's a hard one. Well, like Ras Al Hanout, I love. Oh, yeah. 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 We, yeah. We, there might be some in your future. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Zatar. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. And your favorite comfort food? Spaghetti pomodoro. Just like oh. a good spaghetti oh. with tomato sauce. And fresh parmesan. And, exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, your go to entertaining dish? Mm, a roast chicken. Like, I just think there's something really nice about roasting a chicken for people. It's simple, but it's also, like, not, it's not the easiest thing to do well. But I think it's the nicest thing you can do for someone. It's another hug yeah. food. Yeah, I think so, I yeah. I care about hugs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know what's nice about a roast chicken? I love making a, a broth afterwards. Yes, yeah. With it, there's just something about the smell of that, for sure. that process that yeah. I love. Okay, and your most memorable meal. I got, you know, my love of food came from my family, like my mom, my grandparents are Holocaust survivors, so food was everything for our, like it was just like overly obsessive about food. They, they pass it on to my mother who really has been the reason why I love food so much and care about it. Like she knows what's cool in the city before anyone else does, oh. like no matter what. But it really, like, where I kind of realized that I wanted to make a, a career around food and hospitality was my time that I was working doing PR for Joe Beef in Montreal. Oh. So Dave and Fred, um, I had doing another, I had my own business in hospitality before I was tired, I was shutting it down, and I was like, I just want to have, like, a, an easy job for the summer. Um, so I went there because I had, was sending a lot of my clients to their restaurants, and I was like, I'd like to take care of your garden for the summer because they had they were growing up they grow all their own produce can you teach me and they laughed they're like no there's no way they, they, they saw me being like the type of person that was like always coming with these important people for dinners they couldn't understand me like taking care of their garden actually after one or two weeks of doing it they're like no we're launching our cookbook we'd like for you to be our in-house PR person for the year in before launching it so I did that so I lived in the restaurant and it really was a meal I had there that, tell that, us about it well, they, it was actually a roast chicken, if I'm being honest. Like they, I mean, the food there is super indulgent, but yep. it was a roast chicken dish. I can't remember exactly because the menu doesn't was always changing. But and then they're they have a lobster spaghetti. I think I've we had, had that, that too. And um, and I was just like, you know, these guys really kind of paved the way for like a new way of understanding like good food in North America. I think because before them it was very much fine dining, what looked and felt a certain way. And then with them, it was like much more focused on ingredients and less about the she-she kind of thing that comes with it. And they just, they just were, I just remember just being like, oh, like these guys are going to build this huge career off of doing what they love. And this is what they do. And then you can tell they love what they do. So that was for me probably the most memorable meal I had because it kind of reaffirmed to me that I needed to figure out a way to like, with all my ambitions to have it, you know, achieve those ambitions, ambitions through something to do with food and feeding people. So that was my most memorable 
Yeah. It's amazing yeah. that a meal can set you in a direction. Yeah, for sure. That guides the rest of your life. For sure. And it was actually a meal at that restaurant where I discovered good bread for the first time because they, those guys were really big on that. And there was a guy named Jeffrey Finkelstein who was baking bread for restaurants in his mom's basement kitchen. You know, and he was doing these incredible sourdoughs for like some of the best restaurants in Montreal. And he did like a signature one for each restaurant. But I'd never had bread like that before, right? And it was like, oh, okay. There's some, and that, so that the both of those moments happened at the same restaurant um, around the same time for me. And here I am now in the bread business. So you know, well, that is yeah. mighty high praise, I'd yeah. say. Yeah, that's for sure. awesome. You know, there's a lot of articles and interviews that describe. Uh, restaurants and and retail outlets in the city as gems and and I think most are overhyped I'm gonna tell you that Broadflower is a gem oh thank you Broadflower is an amazing place you can see someone disrupting an industry um, live and we can't recommend it enough thank you so much Thanks. thank you Just before we wrap up this episode, Louise, do you have anything for our random gorgeous spice culture segment? I do, Lyndon. I'd like to talk about Dillon's Small Batch Distillers. They are a fantastic company located in Beamsville, Ontario, that look at the art of distilling in a whole new way. They react to seasons, fresh ingredients, and hold on, spices. Love it. They are introducing a raft of interesting and unique Canadian spirits to our country. You've got to love their corporate mission to restore yours and the world's respect for Canadian distilling. Their products are amazing and you may want to check them out for holiday ideas. They believe for every season, there is a cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) They've just launched a new cookbook, well, a new book called Craft Cocktails. Seasonally inspired drinks and snacks from our sipping room. Try saying that three times quickly. I can't even say it once. (laughs) It's like a tongue twister. (laughs) Now, is that perfect for the holidays? So to go along with that book, you might want to pick up their fennel or hot pepper or orange bitters. By the way, Dylan's orange bitters uses a combination of different types of oranges accented with fennel, cardamom, and verbena. A must-have for your old-fashioned. And I've got one more thing to say about Dylan's. They have small bottles of limoncello, which last year I purchased in bulk and gave to anybody I visited over the holidays. Let me just say, I have never been more popular. <laughs> it's a perfect hostess gift. Anyways, check it out. Dylan's Small Batch Distillers. You can find out more about this gorgeous lunch by going to our website, thegorgeous.co. That's also where you'll find out more about the Gorgeous Spice Club, and we really hope you'll sign up. In the meantime, send us your comments and suggestions at info at thegorgeous.co, and follow us on Instagram. This has been a gorgeous production. Until next time, wishing wishing you a a gorgeous gorgeous day. day.